When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. <laughs> Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you too long ago and far away, and will bring you back safely. A dear friend of mine recently crocheted a blanket for me. She had me pick the colors, and I chose a fluffy yarn of purple, pink, and gray. It was her first crochet blanket, and when it arrived, it padded a number of books. She sure knows how to put a care package together. The blanket was soft and fluffy, the perfect couch and reading blanket. I quickly began to put it to use, curled up with a book and a warm cup of tea. I loved how the stitches are big enough. I can weave my hands through the loops and squeeze the soft yarn. One afternoon as I was reading, I started to nod off, my hands tangled in the yarn. I fell into a dream. A dream of a little house at the top of a hill. There was a wreath on the door, and in the wreath was a bird, sitting on a nest of delicate blue eggs. This episode, we are showcasing the storyteller Dawn Nelson, or Dee Dee Storyteller. She lives in a village on the beautiful South Downs, and her passion is connecting people with nature, history, and the landscape that surrounds them through storytelling. Working as an author, storyteller, and consultant, she writes and performs interactive, original, and traditional tales, as well as creating story-based events, workshops, and storytelling clubs for all ages. One of her projects is A to Z of Rewilding Stories Zine, or Zine. Not sure how to pronounce that particular part. I suppose it would be Zine because it's magazine and not magazine. A to Z of Rewilding Stories is a series of limited edition zines that seeks to connect the reader with nature and the landscape that surrounds them one story at a time. To accompany each edition, there is a link to an audio to complement the mindful moment for well-being and a selection of exercises that'll help you connect with the story and nature within it on a deeper level. You can find these delightful zines or zines by going to her website, ddstoryteller.co.uk. But before you do that, enjoy hearing her tell Shenkin Fairy Gold. Shenkin had fallen on hard times. There was a time when he had plenty of work in the village. All the odd jobs would be sent to him, so he'd patch up the roofs, mend leaking taps, perhaps the fences on the farms. He'd turn his hand to most things, but times had got hard for everyone, and people were doing their own odd jobs. There was nothing for Shenkin to do. Shenkin was always resourceful, though. And he was a very good fiddle player. 
and so that's what he'd turned his hand to. Each night he would go to different inns and taverns and he would play his tunes and people would throw a penny in his hat. He'd managed to get enough money together so that he would be able to have bread for the table and occasionally they could have meat, but never the wine that his wife would actually like. She would always complain that they didn't have beef, that they could only ever afford pork and that they could only ever have small ale and not the wine that she particularly liked. And she'd always say to him that he really needed to go and get a proper job because playing the fiddle was never going to earn him enough money. Well, Schenkin disagreed. He worked very hard playing the fiddle and it did earn them enough money. It kept them. They did not starve. They did not have holes in their roofs. So what was the problem? So Schenkin spent longer and longer in the inns and taverns playing the violin to try and get more money and, I'm afraid to say, to avoid his wife's complaints. And it was on one of these nights that he'd been staying particularly late that he headed back across the hills. These weren't particularly big hills, listener. They were what were known as the fairy hills. So you can imagine they were quite small sort of undulations in the land rather than actual hills. Schenkin knew of the fairy folk and he knew they were tricksy. But he knew the rules. He knew not to eat their food or to drink their drink. He knew to be polite always, although he did know never to thank them. And he did know that he must keep their secrets. But thankfully, up until tonight that is, Schenkin had never had a reason to remember these rules. However, tonight was different. The moon was high in the sky and as Shenkin headed across the fairy hills, he looked up at the stars that twinkled next to the moon. He looked up at them like pieces of gold on a navy blue velvet cushion. And he thought if he could just reach up and pull one of those stars down, well, then they'd have plenty of gold and no need for him to play his fiddle anymore. And his wife would certainly not complain. As he was pondering whether or not it was actually possible to get the stars down from the sky, he heard music drifting across the fairy hills towards him. He could tell that the sound was coming in front of him and as he looked up and looked into the dark, he could see a tiny little golden castle. He knew this must be the fair folk and, well, he considered for a moment leaving the path But he also knew that there were plenty of other tricksy beings around at night. And so the path was the safest place for him. He was considering how he might circumnavigate the castle when voices joined the music. Shenkin, Shenkin, come play your violin for us. Shenkin knew that try as he might, he could not ignore the request. And it was probably best not to ignore the request of the fairy folk. And so it was that he found himself inside the fairy castle. As he played, he found that the castle seemed to grow taller around him. He was able to go into the castle without banging his head on the tiny little chandeliers and the plush little cushions that were all over the floor. This was clearly a royal fairy household. He continued to play his violin whilst all the tiny people that were no taller than his shin danced around him. 
They called to him to join him to eat and to drink, but he knew, he knew the rules and he knew that he could not do that. And so instead he closed his eyes and he played his fiddle. He hoped that his fiddle playing would be enough that he would not be trapped in the fairy world forever for gentle listener sometimes if you end up in the fairy world you can end up there for what may seem like a day to you but is a hundred years in our world. Schenken hoped that this would not be his fate. He played and played until he could play no longer. He was exhausted and so he lay down on the velvet cushions. They seemed to grow in order to cradle him and allow him to sleep and as the music and the dancing feet and the voices of the fairies faded around him, Schenkin fell into a slumber. Schenkin was awoken to the sound of bells ringing and damp on his face. He looked, it was the grass, the grass of the fairy hills, and he could see that the sun was creeping up over the horizon. A new day had dawned, and when he looked around, there was no fairy castle, no fairies to be seen. Instead, all that was beside him was his violin neatly put back in his case, and a little woollen bag. He leant forward to take the little bag, and he pulled on the leather thong that was at the top of it that held it closed, and he looked inside, and there, there was enough gold coins to last him and his wife for a very long time. He was delighted, but he knew better than to say out loud that he thanked the fairies for their reward. Instead, he took hold of his violin and he took up the gold coins and he went straight down into the town. He bought a large side of beef and a bottle of wine and off he went back home. His wife was so amazed to see the beef and the wine that she did not chastise him for being out all night and didn't even bother to ask where he'd been. Nope, she just set about creating them a roast for their lunch. Schenkin took the little purse of gold and he placed it up in the rafters of the house, somewhere where he could keep it safe and keep it secret, for he knew that he must not tell anyone where the gold had come from. After lunch, his wife did inquire as to where he'd been and where he had got the money for the beef and the wine, and Schenkin merely said that he had had a good evening playing the fiddle. She believed him and hoped that this good fortune would continue. Of course it did. Weeks followed days and months followed weeks, and, well, they seemed to be able to have meat every day if they wanted certainly enough wine to keep his wife happy. Schenkin did go out to play his fiddle, just so his wife didn't suspect too much. But, well, the curiosity got the better of her. And she asked him one evening where it was he was getting the money from, because surely he couldn't be that good at the fiddle every evening. And Schenkin, well, he replied that she should not worry herself about it, and that they had more than enough to keep them going, and that his fiddle playing was good. But then the wife started to ask around and she found that no, he wasn't earning that much more from his fiddle playing. And so she asked him again, Schenken, you must tell me where the money is coming from. I'm concerned. But why 
Wife, why are you concerned? We have enough for meat and wine, which is what you wanted. Why are you worried about where the money's coming from? Well, you could have turned your hand to highway robbery, Schenkin. I don't know what you've been up to. I really think you ought to tell me. I am your wife, after all. I have told you, you don't need to worry about it, said Schenkin. Well, that was the end of the conversation, for that evening anyway. Of course, the months then turned to a year and came Christmas and they had an enormous spread on the table and, well, the wife, she had to ask again where the money came from. It is of no matter, said Schenkin. It is really best you do not know. Well, then why is that, Schenkin? I cannot have you end up in prison. You must tell me why it is. Why it is? Because if you cannot tell me, then it can only be something bad. Perhaps you have been thieving, or perhaps you've been gambling. I just need to know what it is, Schenkin. After all, we are man and wife, and there should be no secrets between us. It really is better you don't know, said Schenkin. But she continued, and the more mulled wine she drank, the more persistent she was until eventually Schenkin got so fed up that he was not allowed to just sit by the fire and enjoy his cider that he shouted at her, The fairies gave it to me! There was silence in the cottage. Well, now you've done it, said the wife. And Schenkin just looked at her, because they both knew what was likely to happen now. Schenkin got up from his chair and he went into the room in the cottage where in the rafters the gold was hidden. He pulled down the pouch of gold which felt slightly lighter and it didn't chink the way it had done before. It's more of a dull sound now coming from the bag and as he opened up the bag there inside were cockle shells. Oh, they were very fine cockle shells. But they were not going to buy them beef or wine. The fairies had made their thoughts clear on Schenkin giving away their secrets. Well, Schenkin, he continued to play his violin in the taverns and the inns, and his wife continued to complain that they no longer had meat and wine for the table. Now, when Schenkin did come back from the taverns and the inns, he did continue to walk through the fairy hills and down that path where he'd seen that little golden castle and been invited in to play for the fairies and been rewarded so handsomely. He walked that way every night in the hope that perhaps, perhaps, the fairies would invite him back. But, unfortunately, listener, fairies, like wives have very long memories. The fairy tale sponsor for this episode is First International Bank of the Fae. Mortal banks are fallible, easily robbed, and tumble in the slightest financial wind. 
Trust your hard-earned gold diamonds and precious items to the First International Bank of the Fay. Take advantage of our high interest savings account, 200-year loans, and very secure vaults. Should you want to retrieve your money, you will need to remember that upon withdrawal, you have 24 hours to use the gold before it turns into oak leaves. All our loans are 200 years long in exchange for your most precious memories. And the vaults ring with the size of the souls that have attempted to pilfer the treasure. First International Bank of the Fay, step into the circle of trust. We have a new five-star review for the podcast. I'm not sure how to pronounce this, but I'm going to do my best. Yenten B6208. Or it could be Yentirba6208. Says, if you're looking for something to captivate you and give you the warm feeling of gathering around for a good story, look no further. We love to listen to Story Story Podcast on our morning commutes. Whether it's to work, school, the library, or a natural adventure, this podcast adds a little magic to our day. Our daughter is a year old and know these storytellers and hosts are sparking her imagination and warming her heart. We love the Appalachian stories we've heard, the hikes about stories with Mo, and we love Rachel's stories. Oh, gosh. Thank you for filling our lives with warmth and stories. Thank you, Yenter B6208 or Yenter Yenterber 6208. We are so glad that you enjoy the podcast and are sharing the stories with your family. That's the joy of what we do. May the stories curl up in your hearts like warm kittens on a hearth who are fluffy and full of warm milk and are just starting to purr. In the dream, I looked at the bird and the little blue eggs began to crack and out tumbled baby birds. They looked wet and somewhat shocked to be alive, couldn't blame them, their first home being a festive Easter wreath, although the holiday had long passed. As I was observing the birds, I heard the sound of children in the house, small feet pattering about, and I watched as the doorknob started to turn. My mind flashed forward to the door being flung open, the birds falling from the nest, and instinctively I grabbed the door handle to keep it closed. There was a tugging, and then a voice rang through the house. Don't use the front door. The birds are in the wreath. And I suddenly woke up, fingers still tangled in the blanket. I called my friend a few days later to thank her for the lovely gift, and she told me something unusual had happened. A bird had built a nest in her Easter wreath, and the eggs had hatched. I was about to tell her my dream, and she said, The weird thing is, since the birds hatched, the front door has been a bit stuck, and we've had to use the back door. I sank my fingers into the obviously magical blanket and smiled. Before the second story by Dee Dee's Storyteller, did you know she has created a special Rewild Yourself Through Story Box? Let story reconnect you to your wild soul, nature, and landscape that surrounds you. Inspired by the seasons and the wheel of the year, this box uses a story to explore the nature and landscape of the UK through a zine, oracle deck, and audio stories in a journal. In the zine, each month there are three stories for you to explore that connect you with the seasons, and the oracle deck connects you with the stories of the seven different habitats, along with an exclusive link to accompanying online audio stories. While you muse about what you might find if you were to explore the seasons through story, enjoy hearing Dee Dee Storyteller or Dawn tell 
Yallery Brown. Many moons ago, there was a man named Tom, as they often are in these tales. Well, they're either called Tom or, or Jack or John. But the young man in this tale is Tom. He was known for being a little work shy, but had a good sense of humour and always saw the positives in life. So his work colleagues tolerated him leaving the heavy work for them. They tolerated him not wanting to milk the cow or pick the hooves of the horse that was liable to kick you. And they tolerated him leaving an hour or so early to visit the local pub. It was after one of these occasions that Tom had been in a hostelry, supping a pint or two and he was working his way across the fields. The moon was full and the hedges were high, and they sheltered him from the cold north wind. Tom rolled as he walked on account of the stout, and when he heard a small voice carried on the wind, which sounded like it said something like, Help me, help me! He thought, well, it must be the drink playing with his mind, and he shrugged it off. But the voice got louder as he worked his way along the path until eventually it was so loud he couldn't ignore it. It was shrill, almost a shriek, and he had to stop and look around to see where it might be coming from. He called out again. I'm under the stone, down here, look down here! Tom indeed did look down, and there was a large stone that was well embedded in the grass and the nettles and the dying dock flowers that were under the hedgerow. Moss and lichen grew freely upon it and gave it the mottled look that only years of weathering bring. He bent down to see if he could lift it. It was a heavy thing, and he struggled to get his fingers underneath it in order to prise it from its resting place. It took a good few minutes of wiggling the stone back and forth, scraping at the earth and the grass until it was free, and when it finally did come free, Tom almost fell over backwards. Peering into the hole that was left behind, Tom saw what could only be described as a wizened baby. It was curled up in the fetal position, squinting at the light from the moon. The being had a long beard and small brown eyes. His hair was white as the blackthorn flowers, and its skin weathered and aged. Tom stumbled backwards, trying to make sense of it all. Was it a boggle, a boggart, a hob, a red cap? What on earth was it? No, it didn't have a hat. It couldn't be a red cap. A fairy of some sort, though. A tiddyman, perhaps, or maybe a leprechaun. He had heard of those from his Irish cousins. Do not try to work out what I am, for it is not worth your time. I thank you greatly for freeing me, though, the being shouted up, and then unfurling itself, it began to dance around Tom, who stood there bemused and unsure whether or not what he saw before him was actually really happening, or whether it was just still the effects of the drink. I must ask you what your name is, good sir, said Tom, remembering that it was always best to show the little creatures some respect, for this was one thing that he knew was a universal rule for all of the other crowd. Yallery Brown is my name, and I will do you a favour in return for the one you have done me. Ask me anything you like, I will make sure it happens. A wife, good fortune, a curse upon your enemies, long life. It's yours for the taking, Tom. One out. Tom had to think about this. He didn't really want a wife. And really, what was the use of money? He had more than enough for the life he wanted to lead. And a curse upon enemies? Well, he knew that curses only ever came back to haunt you. Long life? Again, Tom really wasn't quite sure what to do with that. There was one thing he would like, though. 
and that was to do less work. It's done, said Yellowy Brown, without Tom having to utter a word. So, ah, ah, said the little man, waving his shriveled finger at Tom. You must never say that word, for if you do, everything that I have given you will be undone. Should you ever need me again, well, you can call on me by saying, Yallery Brown, come out from your earthbound home. And with that, the little man disappeared back underneath the hedgerow, and for quite a while, Tom could hear the little man singing as he disappeared across the fields. Tom continued on his way home, and as soon as his head hit the pillow of his bed, he fell into an ale-induced sleep. The next morning, Tom rose early and went to work as usual, slightly fuggy-headed, but capable of performing the tasks that had, for him, over the years, become muscle memory. When he arrived at the farm, there was a commotion as the other workers observed that Tom's tasks had already been completed. Tom found the hay he was meant to move to the stable was already there. He found the horses brushed and cleaned, their tack polished. He found the cows milked and the pigs fed. There was absolutely nothing he needed to do. Things did not go so well for his co-workers, though. They found that their tasks were made harder. The buckets of milk, which they'd carefully filled from the cows, were now upset. Whenever they went into the barns, the hay was never stacked as tidy as Tom's was, and, well, whenever they tried to pick the horse's hooves, they'd find themselves on the receiving end of a kick. Didn't matter which horse they went to. It was as if something was irritating that horse. When they tried to stick to tasks that avoided the rear end of the horse, like cleaning out the stables once they were out in the fields, well, they found that the minute that they went back in after getting rid of the dung on the dung heap, well, it was as dirty as when they'd started. Other farmhands felt sure that there was some mischief afoot and that Tom was at the root of it. They decided that his practical jokes and workplace humour had gone too far this time. And they started to grumble and talk among themselves. Some even believed it was magic. Tom tried to make amends. He arrived at work earlier than he thought Yallery Brown could manage, so they could try and do some of the work before Yallery got there. But Yallery Brown was not having that. The little man was never seen, but he was always there. Even if Tom tried to do the work of his co-workers, he still found himself with pain in his lower back, which was akin to getting a good kick up the backside. So... Tom just stopped trying. After all, what was the point when all his tasks were already completed? And, well, he was being paid by the farmer still. After a month or so of these shenanigans, it was all too much for the other workers in the farm. There was unrest. They threatened to down tools and strike. They were going to leave if something was not done about Tom and the mischief making. It didn't really matter to the farmer that Tom was doing his work. What mattered was that all the while that Tom was there... There was twice as much work for other farmhands and, most importantly, unrest on his farm. So he sacked Tom. Of course, this didn't please Tom because now he wasn't being paid and he had to go and find another job. And he knew, he knew in the back of his mind that wherever he went, Yallery Brown would find him and insist on completing his jobs to the point where it alienated him from his colleagues once more. So he went into the field, to that same spot by the hedge, with that same stone. In fact, the soil was still attached to the bottom of it, reminding him of what had happened that night, and he called out for Yallery Brown. 
the little sprite appeared before him, grinning and hopping from foot to foot. Hello, Tom. Are you enjoying the work I have done for you? Where are we going next? We're going nowhere, and I'll thank you to stay out of my business from now on, Yallery Brown. Oh, you've done it now, Tom. I told you, I told you not to thank me. You will rue the day you lifted that stone, Tom. And with that, the little man started to dance around Tom once more, singing. Work as thou will, thou'lt never do well. Work as thou mayst, thou'lt never gain grist. From harm and mischance and yallery brown, thou'lt let out thyself from under the stone. As he danced, the air was blue with the words of the little man who cursed and mocked and needled Tom. And when Yallery had finally disappeared across the fields, the words of his song rang in Tom's ears. For harm and mischance and Yallery Brown, thou's let out thyself from under the stone. Tom travelled to many places, trying to find work. But as Yallery had promised, nothing Tom did came to any good. No farm he ever worked on kept him for more than a few days. For even though Tom stopped visiting the local pubs, he still found that he would sleep in inexplicably late, or worse, still be found sleeping in a hayrick in the middle of the day. He thought maybe he would try the job of a fisherman, but his net was always empty, and his crewmates soon saw him as a bad luck charm. So he tried a more solitary role, the role of a miller, but his flour was always full of weevils, and mice and rats overran his windmill. And so it was that Tom ended up with only an antisocial stray cat for company. No flower. So what became of Tom in the end? I'm afraid I don't know. For when Tom stopped trying, well, the story stopped too. But if you ever meet Tom, sit with him a while. Offer him bread and cheese, and you never know. He might tell you the story of Yallery Brown himself. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show the love. Find Dee Dee Storyteller at ddstoryteller.co.uk. Tell her you heard her on the podcast and now want to hear her tell more stories. Go find your favorite storytellers from the podcast and discover what they can bring to your home. If you have questions or comments for the podcast, send them to storystorypodcast at gmail.com. If you send us an email, let me know the favorite story you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you will hear them here soon. The beautiful Brains Behind the Fairy Tale sponsor was brought on by the ephemeral crypto market. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was actually a true story from storyteller Misty Mater, who did have a bird build her nest in her wreath on the front door. True story, folks. The music is by Poddington Bear. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or joining the mailing list to get podcast goodies or writing a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the show. You will hear more stories next week, but until then, live happily ever after. Mary Kate opened up the door 
And there, on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories. 